Here's a thing though. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of our podcast, Here's a Thing Though. My name is Siliha and I'm your host for today. I'm here with my producer slash editor, Mitch. Hello. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge the Darug and Kurungai people who are the traditional owners of the land that we are recording on today. We'd like to pay our respects to all First Nations people past, present and future and acknowledge that we're recording on stolen land and that sovereignty was never ceded. So Mitch, uh, how are you? What have you been up to this week? I've been pretty good. It was our anniversary uh, not too long ago and we had some uh, had a lovely day eating out, chilling, going to some bookstores, eating at a, a lovely vegan restaurant called Golden Lotus that everyone should check out if they're in Sydney. It's in Newtown. Um, we watched some movies. We watched Lost in Translation and Pride and Prejudice, the the former being my favorite movie and Pride and Prejudice, the 2005 film being very enjoyable. I'm very glad we got to watch that. Anyways, how have you been? Um, I've been good. Uh, like Mitch said, it was our anniversary. I had a really lovely day. Had some much-needed downtime, I think. Also, I just feel like last week was really productive for me, and I love that it was productive not in the work sense. <laughs> um, I feel like I really got my shit together health-wise last week. I've For those of you who follow my Instagram, you probably know that I've been talking about like booking a psychologist for ages, and I've never gone around to it. Finally got my mental health plan sorted. Finally got my psychology appointment booked. Finally went to see a physiotherapist for some shoulder issues having. I got an x-ray done. Just like, yeah, just like really productive in terms of just getting back on top of my health, uh, getting all these things done that I've been trying to get done for a while. So it was it was actually a very good week. I'm very happy with it, which is That's nice. That's great. Uh, before we get into today's uh, topic, we've just got some follow-up from last week. Uh, we received a lovely email and lots of feedback on the interracial relos one, particularly from women of colour who are in relationships with white men. Um, I wanted to thank in particular Naya, who sent us a lovely long email engaging with our conversation on interracial relationships. It was really great. She was basically just like talking about her experiences and how much they, I guess, relate to the podcast content and also to my experiences and how we have a lot in common. And it was honestly so nice. It was like a long email. Like, I love that she took the time out of her day to, like, engage with us like that. And it's really great to read, at least from my perspective, because I love feeling like my experiences aren't, like, are quite universal and that actually a lot of us have these experiences and that's not just me and that's not just me that thinks this way and that really, especially with our interracial relationships episode, like, a lot of us have been in this kind of awkward situations and like I've had similar experiences with internalized racism. It was really great. It just feels really good to have somebody engage with your work. It just feels so good to have somebody like care enough about what you're doing to reach out to you and talk to you about it. And I love that you guys, I had a few like, you know, similar things to what I said, but like in the Instagram DMs and stuff. And it was just really great that you guys like take the time out to chat with us. Yeah, exactly. If any of you feel like anything we're saying is like resonating with you, please reach out, please send us an email or DM because it really makes doing this worth it to see that it's actually, you know, people are feeling what we're saying, which yeah. is great. Yeah, y'all are picking up what we're putting down. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> no, it's really, it feels really good. I love feeling like my work matters, you know. So let's get into today's topic. I'll just do a little quick introduction. Uh, today we are going to talk about climate anxiety. 
something that I imagine a lot of you are feeling right now, especially if you're in Australia and especially if you're on the south coast of New South Wales, because this is, we're in October now. So we're heading into the warm kind of summery weather. We've had quite a few hot days lately. And this is around the time last year that the bushfires started, which were obviously very traumatic, catastrophic, hellish nightmare. Um, even if you weren't directly affected by fires on your property or like, you know, hurting you or your families and stuff. Like, I think it was just really awful for everybody. It was just like a nationwide like trauma. I think, you know, for me, I live in inner Sydney and was not really affected by fires personally yet. Like it really messed with me and caused me a lot of distress. And I guess we're gonna talk about that today. Like climate anxiety, the phenomenon of climate anxiety, just like the way everybody's feeling right now about the climate. Sounds good. Let's get into it. Where do we begin describing our modern world? Where's the site or the image that defines our moment? You could say that it's in the city, a place of modernity and business and the latest technology. Maybe a more Marxist, anti-capitalist thinker would say that it's the workplace that defines our moment, a factory or an office, as this is the space where our labor is exploited and our lives are controlled. I think something more fitting and immediate instead would be the image of a landfill or a smoky scene of burning coal, the remnants that make the city and the workplace operate. But it's an image that is often suppressed or pushed aside, something we'd rather not think about, right? When we throw something away into our kitchen's bin, be it a coffee cup or plastic packaging, for most of us it just disappears. We think of it no longer. If I asked you where it went, you'd say, well, of course, I know a garbage truck comes to pick it up once a week and is taken to a waste management facility, and then it ends up on a mountain of old TVs, plastic forks, broken iPhones, etc. Of course, we know all this, but still, the kitchen bin is a magic black hole where things are sent out of our immediate reality. The same can be said about the light switch. Functionally, this knob is the producer of light. You touch it and then, you know, your room illuminates. But then even then, deep down inside, we are aware that it's connected to a system of wires through complex operations that originate at the burning of coal. But still, this doesn't seem true to our reality. This information, at least in the past, has been essentially hidden or not really needed to operate regularly. However, this ideological blind spot is becoming increasingly difficult to ignore and disregard. The unsustainable operations of our everyday life waste and energy have been brought to the forefront. Cue panic in three, two, one. Last summer, we saw some of the worst bushfires we've ever recorded. We had hellish red skies, unbreathable air, and ash falling from the sky like rain. Every day, we saw new numbers depicting land destroyed, people's lives lost, and the countless perishing of animals across the country. We saw images of mass horse deaths from the beating hot sun, Uh, We saw kangaroo carcasses incinerated by the fires. On Sydney's south coast, we saw mothers dragging their children into the ocean and risking drowning to prevent them from burning. We were told by the government to not expect assistance if we call triple zero because emergency services were already at capacity. We were told the government has done all they can to prevent fires and that they had sent thoughts and prayers and that it was now up to the community to protect ourselves. At the same time, The New South Wales Parliament tried to push a bill through that would weaken environmental protections by preventing courts considering the greenhouse gases that coal mines emit when approving applications, thus preventing courts from blocking coal mines that are dangerous for the climate. 
This bill was being debated while Sydney's fire danger was labelled as catastrophic, something that had never actually happened before. The Liberal government ignored a climate change report from 2008 that predicted the fires we had, down to the year, the severity, and it even talked about specifically the south coast and how that would be one of the worst impacted places. They also cut $35 million uh, worth of funding to New South Wales fire services, and Scott Morrison refused to meet with the Rural Fire Service Commissioner twice because he was trying to warn him of dangerous bushfire conditions that would be brought on by climate change. Last year, Scott Morrison lied to the UN about our emission stats, saying that they were on track with our emissions reduction goals and that we may even surpass them, when actually our emissions have risen every year since 2014. Australia's 2019 fossil fuel emissions were 7% above 2005 levels, when by 2030 we're supposed to be 26 to 28% lower. Which is only 10 years away, by the way, 2030. I feel like it's really easy to forget how close we are. In that same meeting with the UN, Scott Morrison also confirms that Australia would no longer be donating to the Green Climate Fund. This year, the National COVID-19 Coordination Commission, a bunch of business leaders who also happen to be fossil fuel and mining stakeholders, handpicked by Scott Morrison to pull us out of our COVID-caused economy crisis, suggested that we underwrite gas pipelines and push the fossil fuel industry as a means to get us out of this crisis. They also suggested weakening environmental protections to open up more land for exploitation. Unsurprisingly, the, recent announced, the recently announced 2020 federal budget is going with a gas-led recovery effort for the economy rather than a green one, and the budget didn't suggest any meaningful way of moving forward with climate change. On the back of this, investment in renewable energy is declining because of the government's pro-fossil fuel stance, and last year Australia was ranked as one of the worst performing countries in regards to climate action. And now, most recently, there have been reports that the Amazon rainforest is on track to become a savanna if the fires, logging, deforestation, lack of rain and exacerbated climate impacts go on the way that they are. Pair this with the decline of the koala population due to our recent fires, the loss of so much nature and bush, the increase of coal funding, the bleaching of the Great Barrier Reef, and then all the other environmental destructions around the world. And well, things are pretty fucking shit. (laughs) Things are pretty fucking bad, okay? And naturally, this is very depressing and it is very easy for us to feel helpless and hopeless And, like, things are just not going to work out. I was recently watching Planet Earth, where in the first episode, we... This is the first episode, by the way, of the season. I was watching it with my five-year-old sister. We're having a little babysitting night at home, just... And we usually watch nature docos together. And in the first episode, you see, like, skeletal polar bears with, like, starving cubs. They're just dying on their lone icebergs. You see, like, walruses and seals nearly drowning because there's not enough, like, icebergs for them to sit on. And then you see suicidal walruses throwing themselves off cliffs into, like, bloodied heaps below because there isn't enough land for them to live on. It's just depressing. And honestly, that was a bit traumatic, like, in a vicarious form. I was watching that with my five-year-old sister and I had no idea how to explain what was going on. Like, she she was a bit confused and I, like, kind of quickly, like, changed what we were watching I changed the episode and I didn't really know how to explain it to her and I'm just glad that she's five (laughs) and forgets things five seconds after she sees them but it was just I feel like it really 
like I watched the idiot a year ago and I feel like it really raised I guess the question of climate anxiety and how to tackle it and like how are we going to talk to kids about this stuff um because climate anxiety these days is permeating every element of our lives like from the show like I just I just watched a random doco and I had to see that (laughs) and just even when you go out and like you're seeing signs everywhere for sustainability and please recycle this packaging and you know spend an extra five dollars and get a coffee cup that's reusable and do this and do that here are all the ways that you can minimize your impact on the environment because don't forget the planet is burning how do you cope with that that's what we want to talk about today because there's been a rise of something called uh eco anxiety or climate depression or climate anxiety i guess the idea that like we're not really coping very well with the knowledge that the world is ending And that we're in some like hellish apocalypse where everything is dying. And we feel pretty powerless about it. Uh, I did some research into climate anxiety for this episode. And it actually became an area of interest to psychologists after a lot of climate scientists started seeking out psychological help because they were really struggling to cope and becoming very depressed and helpless when all their tests and research results were just showing like really negative uh, information. And they were just kind of constantly seeing how much the planet was declining and our environment was being destroyed and you're just like doing study after study and trying to reach out to politicians and trying to get your point across and no one's listening to you and everyone's calling it conspiracy and like this like the idea of eco-anxiety actually began with climate researchers struggling with their mental health and now it's kind of uh, I guess been generalized a little bit to anybody particularly young people and parents with young children but anybody um that's stressed about the environment and it's like an anxiety that permeates our everyday life and that we think about all the time. I know that this is something that I experience a lot and I feel like growing up I always did. I don't know about you, Mitch. Like we did a lot about global warming at school and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean we had the the typical education learning about uh, the Arctic and whatnot and the melting ice caps. But I think when you have that sort of education and it's maybe not given the immediacy immediacy that it deserves it can just sort of be like oh well this is the new normal right yeah I feel like when I was learning about global warming and climate change in school and particularly like maybe primary school or early high school it was definitely something that we still felt we had some control over like it was one of those things about like these are things that are happening but here's ways we can stop it from happening I feel like the way I learned about it at school was quite optimistic it was like sad and you would see you know pictures of like turtles getting choked out by like beer can holder you know those plastic ring things and you would see all this like terrible pollution and then you would like see the global warming rates and stuff but it was very much taught optimistically it was like look we've we've now we know what the problem is we've acknowledged that there is a problem it'll be easy to solve it here's all the things we have to do to solve it it'll be fine and I was like okay yeah this is pretty bad but you know we're going to become environmental warriors we're going to do all we're going to we're going to clean up the local park we're going to do all these things and it's going to be fine um and now I feel like as I'm the older I got the less optimistic that became and I feel like maybe I wasn't super conscious about how fucked everything was until I was in university um because even in like year 12 like we were learning about the climate but I still don't think I knew enough about like fossil fuel companies and like capitalism to really understand the powerlessness that I had in that situation and so then I went to uni and I learned a bit more and actually I mean one of the courses I did at university was called media and climate change and it was literally about climate change info and how the media distributes it um and that was very eye-awakening for me and then I started my first journalistic job last year 
in which I was covering the bushfires and a lot of like Ozpol. And I think that's really like very well and truly where I can trace the start of like very genuine climate anxiety where like it's something that now I just like obsessively think about and stress over because when covering all the Ozpol stuff, like I was, you know, watching a lot of Scott Impressors, I was on Twitter discourse a lot and I like kind of constantly knew what was going on. And God, to see all the shit that our government is doing right now with the environment that we just, most people don't know about is depressing. And to write articles about it and know that you're not even having a really huge reach and that you, like, it doesn't really matter what I'm saying. Like, these these bills are still going through. It was just depressing. I mean, you guys heard the long list of stuff I just mentioned. But, like, this was stuff that I was covering every week. I was constantly up to date with the latest environmental bill that was about to go through that was going to, you know, strip forests of their protection from logging or, like, prevent courts from stopping coal mining. It was. I feel like I was already quite stressed and depressed quite early on in my journalism role because I just, like, don't have the opportunity to switch off and not know all the bad news that's happening. And then the bushfire started and that was my job covering those. And I cannot tell you how stressful and traumatic that was. I just like, oh my God, every single time I came into work, I was looking up the stats of how many, you know, animals have perished. And at some point it was like half a billion, right? Yeah. Half a billion, if not a whole, I think it was half a billion. I'm not sure if it was a whole billion. It could have been. The point is it was a lot of animals dying. And I was looking at all these pictures of like charred kangaroos. Yeah, it's dreadful. It's dreadful. It's honestly traumatic. Like, I I was so stressed, like, and I didn't realize how bad it was until just the other day I was in Bondi Junction and they were doing some backburning in, like, that kind of area. And so there was, like, like it was just, like, you know, hazard reduction burning. And, um the like, the whole street was filled with smoke and it honestly, like, triggered me. Like, I was panicking. I was just like, oh, my God, like, is there a fire? I was fully opening my New South Wales Fires app. I was like, oh, God. Has, is it is it starting now? Is it starting now? Because I ever since we hit September, since spring started, I have been waiting. Mm. I am waiting for bad news of the first bushfire. Like every day I check the news thinking that there's going to be something. And so when I smelt that smoke, it was like in, inducing panic mode completely. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I've got my mask that I have that, you know, prevents ash from being breathed into my lungs. Like, oh, it's just horrific. And I don't know, I just... I feel like everybody feels that way. Do you think that's recently that it's really materialized into this pure panic? Because like we were saying, you know, all of all throughout our lives, climate change and learning it in school has always been, we, we've never lived in a world that hasn't, where the focus on climate change hasn't been at the forefront. But I really feel maybe before it was just sort of this abstract thing that we would talk about. Like, oh yeah, like, you know, hundreds of thousands of kilometers Wait, that doesn't make sense. Anyways, a long way away, you know, shit's burning, shit's melting, everything's in havoc. But here we're in a bit of a bubble where we can still talk about those things in the context of a classroom and not really make that connection. But I feel like now, just within the last couple of years, at least in our lives, it seems to be everything at once. Panic, this is the new normal, and actually shit seems to be manifesting in stuff that is sort of tangible around us? I think last year's bushfires were a really big trigger into the kind of panic about climate change because I think it was the first time that a lot of people realised that we don't don't have this. We don't have this under control and that our government doesn't give a shit because I think previously in high school, like, we really thought, yeah, like, it's bad, but our government's doing stuff. You know, look at these clean-up initiatives. 
look at you know we're gonna we're gonna move into renewables it's gonna be fine like there was an understanding of a bureaucratic force that was gonna protect us I feel like there was an understanding that this is this is bad but it's not my problem it's the governing officials problem and I trust them to do something about it at least that was what I thought when I was in high school yeah no I I think you're right I think Always when we heard these messages of environmental collapse, they were always balanced with this is what we need to do. Well, this is the new climate plan. This is the new, uh, you know, decreasing emissions yeah, like by 2030. Here's the way that we're going to protect you guys. Don't, don't like this is bad, but don't panic because we're going to look after you and we have a plan. We have a plan. But it doesn't really feel like that anymore. It just yeah. feels like we're being bombarded with negative headline after negative headline and it's not really being balanced out with, but, you know, we have this new initiative that's going to help in 20 years and whatnot. Because there isn't any, yeah, really. There's been a really mass disillusionment. Yes. Deservedly so. I think disillusionment is the correct term. I think the bushfires and how poorly our government... Look, I've been anti-government for ages, but, like, the bushfires were just a new low in how the government really, like, dealt with them because there was just no compassion and empathy for anybody. And the bushfires really impacted, like, that whole Aussie battler kind of type you know like somebody like me who lives in inner sydney and i've grown up in inner sydney i've never been affected by bushfires or even really by drought or anything like i've always been pretty privileged that way but i think with and i've also because of that also been very disillusioned with the government quite early on being you know an inner city lefty being a brown muslim woman i you know i guess it's not so much a shock but i think for a lot of people especially like the rural aussie white person who maybe had slightly more faith in the government because you, you see yourself represented more in politics. I think they realised how abandoned they are. And I think for a lot of us, it was a shock to see that our government is abandoning the Aussie hero battler vibe. Like now that the, the people who I see as Australian and who the government actually represents, because I've never seen myself as one of those people, even they've been abandoned. Even they're not being taken care of. And if we've reached that case, what the fuck is going on? Because if our government isn't doing anything to help those people, they sure as hell aren't doing anything to help us, right? Exactly. Um, I think seeing this breakdown of like racial and class privilege when it comes to the bushfires, because the worst impacted by the bushfires were like rural white people. Um, and seeing that and realizing, and this is like, you know, true blue Aussie kind of vibe and they're suffering the most in like the bushfires made it really, I think, real for a lot of people, how much the government isn't going to help them. Like I mentioned earlier in our little intro, but the government did legitimately say, like, you can Google it. Uh, they did tell people that you're on your own and that don't bother calling fire services because we're they're not going to help you. And also don't expect to text. You know how you get text alerts and stuff for emergencies? Yeah, so the government said not to expect text alerts, not to expect knocks on doors, not to expect warnings. And there was really big issues around that because obviously a lot of people also don't speak English. And a lot of people need that reminder. Like a lot of people don't have access to technology or access to a strong internet connection that can keep them updated every second on where the fire is. This is the role of, you know, like public servants to be doing this stuff. So to not have those resources, to not have anyone taking care of you and to be told yeah you run your own literally it's up to the community now whatever that means like to be abandoned like that is jarring and I think the bushfires at the end of last year were the epitome of that and now we're all panicking because for the first time it has become very very real first of all how bad climate change is like it's become so real we've seen it in our own homes with our own friends with our own fauna and flora 
And then on top of that, we saw just the absolute most piss poor response by the government, absolute abandonment, no compassion, no kindness. And then I still literally, like I said before, one of the days where Sydney had a catastrophic fire warning, which we never have ever. Um, that day, the government was debating putting a bill through to let courts not ban coal mines. Like just the complete dissonance, right? The complete lack of care about this issue is so jarring for so many people and I think that has spurred us into this panic because now we're like we don't know what to do exactly like the stability the illusion of stability uh that bureaucratic government is apparently meant to give us is just collapsing I guess people are beginning to see through it and this really does evoke what the subject of this podcast is about climate anxiety Yeah, so I guess the ever-permeating feeling of doom and helplessness, right? That, like, there's nothing you can really do to stop the decline of the planet. And that kind of helplessness is dangerous, right? That's why I guess this is becoming an issue with psychologists. It's becoming pathologized climate anxiety. Because, you know, I would argue, and what my belief is, is that it's not a mental illness, climate anxiety. It is a normal response to a shit situation. Like, it's not, we're not abnormal. Because, like... I guess if you know anything about mental illness, right, usually to be classified as having a mental illness, you have to have characteristics that are seen as quote-unquote abnormal. Or, you know, like there, there you've had a response that is not the typical behaviour and that's why it's being pathologised. But climate anxiety is normal. How else are we supposed to respond to such destruction and helplessness, right? So I like, I do want to argue in this podcast that climate anxiety as a term I don't think is right because it's just anxiety. It's just legitimate, true form scaredness of a shit situation where we don't have any control over it you know yeah it's just climate actualization yeah it's just reality i feel like something that frustrates me about a lot of discussions of climate anxiety especially from the articles i've been reading is it's made out to be like people are being overly anxious and scared to the point where it's becoming like a disorder or an issue you know it's like like we're overreacting by having these fears, you know, they're not normal. Most people would be chill, but a lot of us, you know, we're just we're just becoming a bit paranoid. We're just becoming a bit scared, especially us emotional young people. And I just don't think that's the case because I don't think it's strange of us or like overreactive of us to feel climate anxiety. It is the natural response and the expected response of a person that's put in a situation where the environment around them is being destroyed and they have no say of the matter. And so I really want to argue that, we need to kind of dismantle that idea because we're not going to solve this issue until we stop seeing it as something that's being pathologized as like an illness. It's not. It's no, it's fucking normal. Like anybody in this situation who knows the facts of climate change is going to feel this way. Um, it's not even just like young people that are feeling climate anxiety or climate researchers. I was doing some, some little readings and it's actually becoming really common among parents who have like youngish kids because they're having to explain to their kids what's happening and that's causing them anxiety and stress because in order to research to equip their children they also have to equip themselves and it's pretty shit to realize that you're raising your kids in a world that's not going to be able to take care of them and that doesn't have the resources for them and that you don't know what the future holds for your children so it's actually becoming really common for parents to be feeling climate anxiety and then obviously young people I think for a lot of us young people especially like the under 25s um it's just it's just an everyday part of our life there was a quote in an article that I was reading that discussed <laughs> the alarmist nature of, of climate anxiety, which I'll get to in a second, um, that quoted a teenage girl, I think she was 18, but she was discussing like 
her climate anxiety and general fear for the planet and saying how it's it's just like it's a normal conversation topic like you'll go from talking about your fear from dying polar bears to oh yeah this is what so-and-so shared on snapchat like it's just such surface level conversation now because all of us are so aware about how much the world is dying and I mean I feel like that just feeds into my argument about like it's not an anxiety disorder it's not a disorder like it's just what happens when you know what's happening in the world because unfortunately the world is pretty shit and unfortunately climate change is a real 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 scary issue that we don't currently have a means of changing you know, there hasn't been a large communal self-actualization in how we're going to fix this issue. It's just like random think tanks and then the government vetoing basically everything, ignoring everybody and continuing their fossil fuel rampage, um, especially under like Scott Morrison's government who don't really believe in climate change. Like they're just kind of talking about how it's like, I, I feel like a lot of governments are focusing on like the pollution element. I know with the Great Barrier Reef, I was doing some reading and uh, one of the people like kind of in charge of it they're focusing on pollution, so like plastics. So their idea is to ban plastics, which is good and fine. But like, it's not plastics that are bleaching the coral reef. It's global warming. Mm. But I feel like a lot of politicians have diverted the attention of climate change as an atmospheric issue, you know, with carbon to plastics because it's easier for them because that way they still look progressive by wanting to ban like plastic bags and stuff but also they're not making meaningful change on what's actually warming the planet because you know what we could we could pick up all the all the plastics and we should um but the climate is still going to be hot there's like that's not gonna they're two they're two different issues well one has to do with the types of things that are produced so maybe diverting uh production in plastic bags to paper bags or different types of plastic bags wherever uh tackling carbon-based, you know, tackling uh, atmospheric warming would necessitate changes in the types of production itself, not what we are producing. Yeah, but how but we're producing production it. itself. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, and I just feel like it's very convenient for them to focus on just like the consumeristic elements of it rather than actually discuss like the fact that, you know, there's only like 100 people that are responsible for the global warming of the planet. Um I wanted to discuss, like, what I said earlier about, uh, I guess, climate change issues being alarmist because there's a lot of, like, kind of scaremongering, fear-mongering kind of articles around climate anxiety. There's, all, there's a lot of articles that are discussing, like, look at what these, you know, left-wing people are doing to our children. They're scaring them. They're upsetting them. They're giving our kids mental disorders. Oh, no. And, like, there's these real, like, conservative, reactionary kind of articles that like pin the blame of climate anxiety onto people that are talking about climate change. And it really frustrates me because, you know, it's talking about how us climate people are just like, we're just being alarmist. We're just causing unnecessary alarm in young people for an issue that is easily solved or is not really an issue or is not as serious as we think it is. And it really, really frustrates me because all you have to do is mention facts and you're an alarmist. Like, it's not even like you have to come in there being like, the world is burning or even if I just said, yeah, half a billion animals burned in the fires last year and there's, you know, how many are bloody left for the next fire? Don't be so extreme. Don't be so ex Exactly. It's like, it's got to the point where facts and statistics, because they are negative and sad, are immediately deemed like extremist and alarmist. It's not alarmist to say a fact. And it's really bothering me, the discourse around this, because it immediately positions us as extreme. And that's the problem, right? Because so many 
like conservative groups are over-politicizing this issue to make it about, you know, radical, crazy left-wing people rather than the fact that we literally need to fix the climate now or so future generations are not going to survive. Um, and it's like, it, it is that serious. It's not alarmist because it's real. This is a this is a now issue. This is a yesterday issue. This is a last year issue. We have been talking about fixing climate change for decades. I'm pretty sure the first papers about climate change came out like like ages ago. I was learning about climate change since I started school in the early 2000s. So it's something we've known about for decades, more than my whole life. It's not alarmist now to be upset about it. Like our fear is genuine and I'm really sick of being treated like I'm hysterical for being afraid for the climate. Like I'm really sick of it being hysterical, irrational, alarmist bullshit when actually my feelings are valid. My quote unquote climate anxiety, it's not something to be pathologized because it's legitimate. Like I'm not, it's not irrational anxiety that needs to be diagnosed. It is a very real, very legitimate fear response to a situation that is terrifying. Something that I think a lot of people are feeling because of this really intense fear is a fear about having kids. Um, I think about that a lot as somebody who's in my early 20s and maybe in the next few years I want to think about getting married, having some kids, settling down. I want to do that kind of stuff and I really feel robbed. <laughs> I really feel robbed because I'm at a stage now where I think about it and I'm like, is it ethical for me to like birth a child? And yes, I could adopt a child and there are many forms of parenting that I could experience. But I feel robbed that the choice in that has been taken from me and that if I were to ever, you know, fall pregnant and like have a kid, the fear of what I'm going to put them through and that I'm going to bring them into a world that can't take care of them is terrifying. I feel like we don't talk about this stuff enough. And when we do, again, we're labeled as hysterical or we're worrying too much, we're overthinking an issue. You know, humans have survived for thousands of years. People had kids during the plague and during war. Why are you any different? But it's like I am different because I actually don't know if this world is going to be here. And, you know, this anxiety... It, like I said, it permeates everywhere. It permeates in like thinking about marriage and kids and stuff. And also just like with work and school and everything you do, you know, like every time I'm at work and I, for example, in the office and I use like a non-reusable coffee cup, I, f I feel guilty. I feel like shit. <laughs> I feel like it's just another way that the planet's going to get ruined and I'm, and I'm part of it, you know? And it's just, it's so upsetting feeling that lack of control. No, exactly. Exactly. It is really depressing knowing that no matter what you do, you're going to be contributing to climate change in some way or another. Like, you know, uh, we both work in retail jobs and ultimately I feel depressed knowing that I work at a job that sells cheap items that fall apart and don't really last. Low quality t-shirts that utilize an absurd amount of water to grow the cotton for the material that will eventually be thrown away as the neck is pulled out of whack and the customer comes back to buy another one. These feelings of sort of helplessness and pointlessness have only worsened during COVID as well. I feel resentful that I need to risk my life and my family's health to sell products of exploitation and environmental decay. My labor and bodily presence is not needed here and I do feel resentful that I am forced into positions that just worsen the environmental state. Yeah, because it's like we can talk about climate anxiety around feeling abandoned from the government. We can talk about the bushfires and stuff. And then on top of that, I think a lot of us feel a constant sense of guilt for not being sustainable enough. You know, initially I used to kind of like laugh a little bit at the obsession of sustainability in the sense of like, 
everybody make sure you use your reusable coffee cup, you know, and if you don't have one, I hate you. Like I've been, I've legitimately had friends who like have ended friendships with other people because they like don't use a reusable coffee cup. Like we're becoming really pedantic and obsessive with like our own waste management, really minimal waste. Don't buy from fast fashion. You're only like supporting you know, climate change and stuff like that. And while I agree that you should definitely try not to buy from fast fashion and you should use a reusable coffee cup and all those other things, like, I feel like at the crux of this, it's not really about that. It's about us trying to regain some semblance of control of the situation. Like, we feel like we don't have an impact. We can't really stop our government from logging and coal mining. We can't really save the Amazon rainforest, which is all the way over there. (laughs) I can't do anything about that. There are so many things I can't do anything about, but you know what I can do? I can use a reusable coffee cup. I can refuse a plastic bag. I can make sure that my waste is as limited as possible. I can try not to buy fast fashion. There are small ways that I, as a consumer, feel like I can have some control. But the truth is, like, I don't really know (laughs) how much that makes a difference. It does in some ways, pollutant-wise, but I don't think it's going to stop climate change. Like, we've been in... A lot of us have been in lockdown this year at some point. I mean... For us, Melbourne is still actually in lockdown. Uh, And because of lockdown around the world, emissions reduced quite a lot. And despite that, despite the fact that we've probably all been accidentally practicing the sustainability that we've been preaching for a long time just by being home, not using our cars, not really shopping much, et cetera, et cetera, we've actually been doing a lot of that stuff. And even then, despite how much that has potentially affected the world, we haven't actually stopped climate change. And I think... That is more depressing as well for a lot of us who are like, okay, so we kind of did something. We kind of did really, really work on our personal sustainability in the last year. But how much does it impact a world where like the top 10% are responsible for 50% of the world's carbon emissions, you know? Um, The recent pandemic and lockdown situations, they've really exacerbated a lot of our issues and a lot of our helplessness and a lot of our dissolution with the government. Um, And it sucks. I guess what we're doing in this podcast is discussing that, well, I want to validate you. I want to tell you that it's okay to feel like it sucks. It's okay to feel anxious because I do too. And you're not hysterical. You're not, you know, suffering from like a disorder. This is normal. This is a normal response to a shit situation. And I feel like while I'm really glad that everybody's practicing sustainability, this is not where our energy needs to be right now, like completely. We need to really talk about the way society is like structured and like, like we talked about before with our governments and how just shit is not working out for us. People are not listening to us. The vast majority of Australians, I reckon, are pretty progressive when it comes to the environment just because we're so scared for like bushfires and things like that. And nothing is working. And I think we need to change our mindsets a little bit because shit is bad. Shit is pretty bad. (laughs) I feel like now the conversation needs to shift from like not... What are we on an individual level going to do about it? But how are we collectively as a society going to stop the people that are responsible for it? You know, I think we're going to do an episode later on climate change and capitalism because we very strongly believe that the two are linked, that climate change is inherently linked with capitalism and colonialism. Well, we know it is. We know it is. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. We don't think. We we know. This is is irrefutable fact. Um, And we want to have that discussion because you know what? I'm really sorry to say this episode doesn't have a happy ending. It's not like our previous episodes when we talk about race relations and we talk about internalized racism and then we talk about how we beat it. Climate change is an issue that we have not beat. Climate change is an issue that I'm scared we won't beat. I honestly don't feel very hopeful. I'm terrified. Um, 
And I guess I wanted to validate that because I think a lot of people feel guilty for not having that hope, but it's valid. And we're going to discuss in another episode, uh, we're going to hopefully do a few episodes on similar topics about how capitalism has started this issue. And I guess maybe maybe illuminating that makes it easier to cope with it and makes it easier to come up with a solution. But I hate saying that this episode is just going to end like that, but it is. Well, I mean, this one is sort of an introduction into those points because I think we sort of need to shift and we're beginning to, but we need to shift where we direct our efforts and our thought into climate change. Talking about, you know, these individual acts of uh, reusable bags, reusable coffee cups, those are all great. But I think in future episodes, by delving into the systemic factors of capitalism, and also we want to talk about uh, indigenous uh, peoples, uh, their struggles against climate change and colonialism and how they're all uh, intertwined, I think we'll actually get a clearer picture which will help maybe reconcile some of our feelings and maybe what we need to be obsessed about and angry about and what we can do to make ourselves feel better within all that as well. I guess we need a healthier way to challenge this anxiety. And my personal coping mechanism is using it as anger against the system. Um, But it works. It's a good way to think about it. And that's definitely what we're going to get into when we do our climate change and capitalism episode. If we want to tackle it, we need to really understand it fully and see it as it is intertwined in a web of capitalism, colonialism, and other unsustainable practices and practices that decay and destroy the world around us. Well, sweet. Thanks for listening. I think this is a good time to talk about our sponsors for the episode, which is you, our listeners. We're still, 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 still figuring out how we're going to do this monetization thing. I promise we're going to say something different at the end of next week's episode. We say this every time, but we are, we actually have some things in plan. So we'll talk about it next week. We're going to stick to the script. And ideally, we'd like to avoid being slaves to the capitalist machine. Okay. So if you thought our discussion today was interesting, thought-provoking, and something you learned from or related to, please consider donating to our PayPal link, paypal.me forward slash Saliha, to support future episodes. The PayPal link is in my Instagram bio, so check it out over there at Saliha Official, and give me a follow if you liked today's episode. Also, if you have any comments or suggestions or want to add to the discussion, you can email us at podcast at gmail.com. Please include your name, pronouns, and any other important info. And of course, remember to follow and subscribe. It really helps us get out there. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Bye.